Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it would go with me, and trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the me- I am all the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Thank you, Father God, for your word. Please open our hearts and minds to hear and receive what you would have for each of us today. Holy Spirit, be with us, and thank you for the comfort through these men, for uh, the service that you put in your word for us to remember and know and learn more about you and what it is to serve you. Please speak through Rick in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, and uh, I will also amen what uh, Brent said earlier. Thank you for the faithful and uh, as the Old Testament would put it, the remnant uh, that survived the holiday weekend. And you're here, so we never know how it's going to be on, a, on holidays and stuff. As, as uh, young as we are, as small as we are, and then with so many people having family outside of Andrew, and not, most of our crowd isn't from Andrew, we always expect a lot of folks to be gone on holidays. So anyway, I am going to be uh, preaching to the choir this morning as I look around the crowd. But uh, anyway, it's what we are in the text. So if you haven't done so, please turn in your Bible to uh, Philippians chapter 2. It's a text that Vonda just read. And we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30 here. Um, and just by way of introduction, since it is 4th of July weekend, let's uh, review some American history. It's early on in the American Revolutionary War, and the colonials are struggling. They uh, have taken on the juggernaut. They're taking on the world's superpower at the time, and they're, they're struggling, and, and it became painfully obvious that it, they were outmatched early on. There's uh, the Battle of Long Island, and very quickly, the, the Americans lost one of their own colonies, and they were forced to leave the entire, what we would call the state of New York as a result, and things became particularly desperate early. And we have a saying, right? Desperate times call for desperate measures and so those in charge the leaders they said well it's time to to start taking a few risks and so here comes George Washington and he strategizes he's I've got a plan that we got to do something we have to try something and so George Washington leads his troops toward Trenton New Jersey and Trenton New Jersey at the time is being held by German forces they are German mercenaries allies of the British that are holding that area locked down. And George Washington's like, that's where we must go. And the only way to get the troops, to get the army to Trenton, 
is to take a very risky maneuver and cross over and take boats on the Delaware River. And that's hard enough, but it's wintertime. And there's already ice forming on the surface of the river. You've probably seen this picture. It's a famous portrait of George Washington leading his troops across the Delaware River. And the river, it's so cold, and, and they're, they're injured still from other battles, and um, they, they lose two men to the river, and they actually lose most of their gunpowder to the river. It wets almost all of their gunpowder. And when George Washington found that out, he said, tell General Sullivan to use the bayonet. I am resolved to take Trenton. And it just goes to show that when matters are desperate, we will be, we're willing to do anything and everything. He's willing to risk going into battle against a professional, well-trained army in order to take Trenton. So they, they cross the Delaware, and then he marches them. Washington marches his troops across the snowy ground, leaving literally bloody footprints as they go because they're still hurting from the previous battles, and most of their feet are not very well protected against the cold, so they're, they're uh, exposing themselves to frostbite and the elements and all of that, and they're, they're marching across, and uh, soldier morale is down. The, the ammunition isn't what it should be. The supplies aren't what they should be. And what Washington would do is that he would ride up and down the lines, just encouraging the troops, encouraging, we can take Trenton. We can take Trenton, and you will make it home to your family. And he would just keep saying that to the troops. And then halfway during the march, uh, another force of Americans joined them, come beside them. And at that moment, the Americans actually started believing we can take Trenton back. We can take it. Then the moment arrived and the battle began, and then you have basically a ragtag army. You have an army of farmers and carpenters taking on seasoned professional mercenaries. And as the gunshots begin, Washington does something that is particularly risky. He takes what is already a slim force and he splits it. And he splits it because the other guys are about to start flanking him. And he has to take, be proactive. And so he takes that risk, and they start, things start going their way. And so he splits his forces again and again and again to keep the enemy from retreating. And the risk paid off. The enemy was defeated. And what most people don't realize is that the Battle of Trenton was one of the crucial turning points of the American Revolutionary War. That that battle, what it did is that it actually encouraged the American colonies that independence was, in fact, possible. And one historian, as I was reading this, said this, with the victory, their spirits bolstered, now knowing that independence was not impossible when people work together as one. And folks, this is what we, we celebrate the 4th of July. We actually celebrate risk and we celebrate unity. The American Revolutionary War and the Battle of Trenton, it, it teaches us what happens when people are willing to risk much and when they're willing to risk much together. And in this case, they were willing to risk and they were willing to risk together for the greater good. And the greater good, in this case, we're talking about freedom, right? Because isn't that what we celebrate on the 4th? We celebrate freedom. We celebrate the freedom that was won through risk and through unity. 
And so as a nation, we celebrate freedom. Our nation is a sovereign nation. No one tells us what to do. We are free, right? And as American citizens of this nation, we celebrate freedom of speech. We celebrate freedom of religion. We celebrate freedom to bear arms. We celebrate freedom to pursue happiness. Great things happen when people are willing to risk and when they're willing to risk together. Great things happen. Freedom is what happens. So it's really important for all of us that as we not just approach the fourth, but every day, every week, you know, all our lives, that we should give praise to God for the country that we do live in. You know, some of us went to Haiti. They don't have the liberties and the freedoms that we enjoy here. Some of you have been abroad in other nations where it's tyranny and, and it's not fun and, 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 and you don't have an opportunity to advance. Here, we have freedoms in this, in this nation, and it's all because of what God has blessed us with. It's God's doing. So we praise God for the freedoms that we have, and then we are thankful, thankful for the men and the women and the families that have sacrificed so much that we may enjoy our liberties because the freedoms that we have did not come cheap. They were not cheap at all. They cost blood and they cost lives. And so we, we praise God for this freedom that we have and we give thanks to all of these folks that, that made it possible, that were willing to serve and not only serve, but serve sacrificially. They're willing to serve with risk and in unity for the greater good. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, what we have here is an example of what it looks like to serve sacrificially, to serve to the extent that we're willing to risk, and not just risk by ourselves, though, but risk in what form? Together. When we risk in unity, that's what it means to live a life of sacrificial service unto the Lord and unto others risk and unity and this is what it means to be a follower of jesus to be a follower of jesus means that we have surrendered our lives unto him so that he is now master he's now lord over our lives we have succumbed under his bigness right under his rulership his his kingship over our lives so we succumb to him so that means that jesus is commander and we are the soldiers and like in the military, you know this. In the military, you have commander's intent, right? They teach you that in the Army. There's commander intent. And so when you're out in the field or you're out on the battlefield, you may not have specific orders about what exactly to do in every moment, but you know the commander's intent. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Do this. This is the goal. This is the mission. This is the battle. And so as followers of Jesus, we know our commander's intent. And our commander's intent is what? Go, therefore, out into the world to the nations and make disciples in anthem language fill andrew in the world with love fill faith fill hope fill followers of jesus that's our commander's intent so if we are followers of jesus here's our responsibility our duty before him it is to serve at the pleasure of jesus in such a way that we're willing to risk whatever it takes to get the mission accomplished and that we do so not as german mercenaries but we do so as allied colonials you know, American colonies in solidarity, standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, uh, carrying the burden and pushing the battle forward, pushing the mission forward. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, let me, let me try to give you an explanation as to why this is so important. Folks, we live in a desperate world. This is a 
this is a broken, a broken world. Children are being murdered. Unborn children are being murdered by the millions every year. Millions of children are being sex trafficked right now. Women are being battered and abused everywhere. Men are being emasculated. I don't even know what the dilemma is with men. It's just as bad. People are starving to death everywhere, being malnourished, dying of sickness and disease. Christians are being persecuted. They're dying right now because they believe in Jesus. This is a hurting world. This is a desperate world. And folks, in desperate times, call for what? Desperate measures. And let's just even say it a little bit more theologically proper. Desperate times require for God's people to be desperate for the desperate. It requires us willing to be so desperate to help those that are hurting, those that are in need, that we're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing to risk whatever we need to risk and to do so together, standing shoulder to shoulder, equally yoked, in order to help the, the desperate, in order to bring hope to, to the hopeless. And, and what, is, what is it really that the world needs? It needs Jesus. It needs the light of God's glory to shine in this world. That's the cure. That's the cure. Like there's this, this ailment in the world. There's this disease, this sickness, and the only thing that can fix it is the light of Jesus shining in this world. Like the only thing that can remedy the brokenness and the heartache, the only thing that can remedy that is the glory of God's grace. The only thing that can fix all the, the despair in everything that is happening in this world, it's the goodness of God, the gentleness of God, the greatness of God. What this world so desperately needs is to see the unrivaled beauty and the unparalleled love of God. It needs the glory of God to shine in this world to help the unborn children and the children who are being sex trafficked, and the teens that are falling into addictions, and the parents who are struggling, and the marriages that are struggling, and the people that are poor and desperate and don't know how they're going to pay their bills. The world needs the glory of God to shine through. And how does that happen? It happens through God's people. Like the only way that this works, I mean, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, we are the light of the world. It's through our works that, that God is glorified and are pointed toward him. It is as God's people go about carrying on the mission of Christ in love and in truth and wisdom and grace. It's as we do that, that healing comes to the world. So there is our responsibility. There, there it is that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to risk, do everything that we need to do at all costs in order that hope would be given to the world, that they may share in the hope that we have. Now, real quick, let me define to you what I mean by risk. By risk, I don't mean gambling. I don't mean daredeviling. I don't mean taking random, careless chances. I don't mean rolling the dice. By risk, I mean living in faith, which is risky, is it not? Right? To love God so deeply and so passionately that you faithfully serve his mission even if it exposes you to potential injury and loss and maybe death. That's risk. That's risk. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul said, For it has been granted to you 
that for the sake of Christ you shall not only believe in him, but also do what? Suffer for his sake. So here's the truth. If we're a follower of Jesus, we are by definition exposed to danger. Uh, It is a calling to a life that is risky. It exposes us to all sorts of suffering and in all sorts of dilemmas and circumstances. It puts us at all sorts of risk. And Jesus never promised us. Jesus never promised us that it would be easy or safe. Never once did he ever promise that it would be easy or safe or convenient. But he did promise greater things will be done through you than through him. John chapter 17. That's amazing. That through his people risking and working together, living in faith. Oh my goodness. God was going to do more through that. The world would be reached. The nations would be drawn to God. So there you have it. He did, he did promise us that we would accomplish these great things. That great things would be accomplished. But it requires risk, faith, and it requires unity. And what I mean by unity is this. I don't mean sitting around holding hands, singing kumbaya. I mean, that may be a form of it, and that's fine. I'm not against it. I'm just, but that's not really what I mean. And what I mean is not necessarily just sitting in living rooms sharing our burdens and problems. That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. I would advise, I would recommend to do that. But that's not, at the end of the day, what Christian community is. Christian community isn't people just sharing problems. We can do that at the local bar. Christian community is all about mission. It is wrapped around it is single-mindedly gospel-centered and mission-focused that is what makes christian community christian community that's what distinguishes it from all other sorts of community is that we are knit together by the gospel and driven together by the gospel so as we get into our text here or, or let me just read real quick uh philippians chapter one verse chapter one verse 27 Paul is talking about unity and mission, and he says unity is striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So there you go. That's what unity means. It is Christians together, standing together, working toward the same goal, and that goal is the faith of the gospel, the furtherance of Jesus in this world. Now, what we see in our actual text for today, verses 19 through 30, we have two examples of what it means to serve sacrificially. A guy named Timothy and a guy named Epaphroditus. Sounds like a girl's name, right? But anyway, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and they were both devoted to God. They were both completely committed to furthering the gospel, faithful to taking hope to the desperate world. They were, this is what they were all about. Their lives were marked by risk and by, and by unity, and they did so for the greater good. And the greater good is freedom. The spiritual freedom of individuals, that they're no longer like yoked and burdened down by sin, that they're no longer desperate and hurting, but that they have Christ and that they experience freedom in Christ. So let's just begin real quick with with taking a brief look at, at Timothy here. Verse 19 begins, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. What, what is happening here is that Paul, he's in Rome, he's in prison in Rome. And the Philippians are way over in Philippi, like modern-day northeast Greece, Macedonia, that area over there. And Paul loves the Philippians. And so Paul wants to go to the Philippians. He wants to go and spend some time with them, fellowship with them, serve with them, disciple them, do, do what Christians do together. 
right? Be on mission together. He wants to go there, but he's in prison, so he can't go. So he says, I, I hope, I want to, if it's God's will, I want to send Timothy to you soon. And here's what we got to know about Timothy. Timothy is Paul's right-hand man. There is no one closer to Paul than Timothy. Like, th- it's his boy, figuratively. Like, it's they, they have worked together. They love each other. They spend time together. And, and this is who Paul wants to send, which is like a big sacrifice, right? Because Paul is imprisoned. I don't want my closest friend and brother to leave me at the time of my greatest need. But he's like, I want to send Timothy to you because he loves him so much. Now, why specifically Timothy? Verses 20 through 22. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. He, Paul has no greater partner in the gospel than Timothy. They're kindred spirits. It's really what he's getting at here. They, they love each other not because they play golf together, they love each other not because they, they quote the movie lines and they know which one movie they're quoting from and they go back and forth playing the character roles. They don't, that's not why they love each other. They love each other because of their common interest in the gospel. They love each other because for both of them to live is Christ. So their common faith in this good news of Jesus, in the grace of God, this commonality that they have transcends everything to the point that they travel together. They go on mission trips together. They plant churches together. They make disciples together. They teach together. They, they, they serve. They minister together. So much so that they even suffer together. Because Timothy's right there with Paul when Paul goes through a bunch of his mess and his trials and his circumstances. So they're, they're so yoked. They love God so much that they're willing to risk together. They risk together all the time. And it's because of that that Paul fully trusts Timothy. He fully trusts him. He knows, man, if anyone's going to take care of the Philippians, it's Timothy. So I'm going to send him. And so he tells him, man, this guy's going to come. And he's going to be a, like a pastor to you. He's going to be a brother to you. He's going to be genuinely concerned for you. He's going to care for you. He's going to be thoughtful. He's going to put your interests ahead of his own. And he actually tells us here that he puts the interests of Jesus above everything else. Like, like, so he's not thinking about himself or his glory or his circumstances or his, his finances or anything like that. He's thinking about Jesus and helping others and serving others and the glory of God in doing so. And so Paul trusts him. That's who he's going to send. He knows Timothy's going to do the right thing the right way and love these folks. And I find that an amazing commendation that the... Apostle Paul would say these things of Timothy. Like that is an incredible like little resume right there. Or on LinkedIn, someone just like liked his profile there and it's like, yeah, uh, whatever it is, uh, the, uh, the profile on it. Yeah, they're a good teacher or they're, they're a good engineer. Like, I mean, Paul is doing that at, at the greatest level possible. And my question to you guys is, wouldn't you want that kind of commendation? Because at the end of the day, it's really not Paul that's giving it, is it? This is God's word. It is Timothy's name that God recorded in God's eternal word, forever held up as a hero of the faith. 
In other words, what we really are hearing here is, Paul, is, is God saying of Timothy, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that not what you want to hear one day? To walk into the very presence of God and hear him say, well done. Well done, faithful servant. Well done. This, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. It says that we're to live a life in which our ambition is to please the Lord. This is what it means. Like, this is the heartbeat of a believer. I want to bring honor to God, and by his grace and empowered by his spirit, I will live for his glory and bring honor to him, not because I have to, but because I want to. It's a response of love. In that what we've always said in planting Anthem Church, we are ourselves responding to the love of God and helping others to respond to the love of God. So this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It is wanting to please God, and then that means serving him. That means being faithful, and then that means we expose ourselves to risk from time to time, or maybe often. We put ourselves in places where we may potentially lose or, or, or be injured or anything like that. And the only negative thing I can find here is, 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 uh, is this, is that Paul says, I have only Timothy that I can send. You know, Timothy, I mean, Paul spent his life trying to nurture Timothys and discipling and sharing the gospel and teaching. And when it came down to I need to trust someone to send on this special mission, there was only one. And, you know, I wish everyone were here today. um, But I feel very blessed where I'm at that I have more than one that I feel like I trust, that, that are... That I, that I believe in, that I believe their commitment to Jesus, that I believe their heart. Like, I am so blessed, like, as a pastor, to have, be surrounded with brothers and sisters that are one heart and one mind and one purpose, and, like, we share Jesus in common. And, yeah, we may have arguments, and we may fuss about this, and we may complain about that, but at the end of the day, who cares? Like, who cares? We love Jesus, and we care about other people wanting to come to know Jesus as well. And so my only thing, if I'm going to be, like, ultra-critical and negative, is, like, I want more. I, want a, I don't want a squad of Timothys. I don't want to be a part of a squad of Timothys. I want to be a battalion. I want to be a full battalion of Timothys, like, running around, like, trustworthy, risking, risking together for the cause of Jesus to bring hope to a desperate world. Who wants to be a Timothy? Who's willing? Who wants to be a Timothy right now? Now, understand this. It didn't didn't happen overnight that Timothy became Timothy. It took years of discipleship. His mom discipled him. His grandma discipled him. Paul discipled him. It took time. It was a process. He had to be equipped. People had to serve him in order to get him to a place where he could serve others. And so here, folks, this is our mission. Make disciples, right? Fill Andrew in the world with love, fill, faith, fill, hope, fill followers of Jesus. How does it begin? We have to be discipled, and we have to disciple others. In order, we have to become a Timothy in order to make Timothys. And folks, that's risky. Because discipleship is personal and confrontational and in your face and in your grill. It means letting someone get close enough that they're, will, that they're able to speak truth into your life. It means hearing some things that sometimes we may not want to hear. 
And the other part is just as hard. Sometimes saying something to someone that we know they may not want to hear, but that's in their best interest, that's risky. We may lose a friend. We, we, may, we may lose someone serving in the church. They may leave the church. It's risky. But the thing is that that's how Timothys are made. That's how we become Timothys when we allow someone to do that for us and then when we're willing to take the responsibility for the holiness of another and apply ourselves into their lives. And so we, we go about it. And so we disciple it. So are you willing? So some of you raise your hand. So those of you raise your hand now, you put yourself out there. Like, so if you're wanting to be a battalion of Timothys, part of that, are you willing to take the risk of being discipled and discipling someone else? I hope so. So, and if you don't have someone or some people that are discipling you, pray, ask God, like, you know, bring some people into my life or ask someone, hey, help me, help me. You've been a, a believer one day longer than me, so maybe you know more than I do. So help me, teach me, train me, equip me. And look for someone to say, to, to, to mentor or disciple. Ask God, God, I, I want to take the little bit that I know and impart that into someone else's heart. That's serving sacrificially, that's risking, and that's doing it together. That's doing it together. All right, the second example in the story is the guy named Epaphroditus. Uh, let's read 25 through 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may be rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So here's what's happened. The Philippians love Paul. They know that he's imprisoned. They scrambled around. We got to help Paul. Let's send a mission trip to Paul. They take up a collection, some money, some finances to support Paul. Someone's got to take it to Paul. Epaphroditus raises his hand, and he takes off. He takes off, and he goes to spend time with Paul. It says there specifically to serve him or to minister to him because he's, in, he's imprisoned. Right? So he needs some comforting, some encouragement. He needs someone to love on him. So, there, so Epaphroditus is sent over by the Philippians to hang out with Paul. And we'll get to the whole sickness here in a minute. But as he goes, he gets sick. He gets sick. He still goes, though, anyway. It's on his trip that he gets sick. He goes anyway. The church back home hears about it. They panic. What's wrong? Is he okay? Is he going to make it? Did he make it to the good hospital? Is he at the good VA or the bad VA? Like, we don't know. Like, what's going on with him? What's going on with, with, with Epaphroditus? They don't know, and so they're desperately concerned. And so Paul is writing this letter, hey, he's okay, he's good, he's okay. So here, you see all the love, right? You see all the Christian love, people caring for one another. Paul cares for them, Timothy's going to care for them. They send Epaphroditus because they care for Paul. Paul cares for them, he wants to send them back. I mean, it's just going back and forth. It's all kinds of love. Cross-mogination happening everywhere, right here. And so what does Paul specifically say about Epaphroditus? He says three things. The first one, he calls him my brother. He's my brother. Paul, the apostle, he wrote so much of the Bible, so much of the New Testament. 
And he's like, he's my brother. So there's like this deep affinity, this affection, this closeness between Paul and Epaphroditus. They didn't just meet on this mission trip. It, they met when Paul was in Philippi 10 years earlier, planting that church. So they had a connection. He's his brother. They're not just guys that know each other from church, right? They're brothers in Christ. And then he refers to him as a fellow worker in the text. Work. Being a follower of Jesus is work. Being a servant means work. It is labor. It is exhausting. It, is, it, it, it tires you out. But that's what servants do, right? We serve at the pleasure of another. We serve at the, at the pleasure of Jesus. So ministry is work. It's labor. It's not easy. And here's the good thing. We don't have to do it by ourselves. Because he says, my fellow worker. How sad would that be if you have to labor and struggle all by yourself? But what if God surrounds you with a group of others that are willing to come right beside and put the yoke on and plow the field together with you? Put their hand to the plow along with you? Man, it's amazing how much more energy we have. It's amazing what, what much more we can get done when there's others that are willing to labor side by side. Side by side with us. So we don't have to do it by ourselves. God provides workers to do it with us. And then number three, he refers to him as a fellow what? Soldier. As a fellow soldier. And what the soldiers do? They march in the battle. They fight. They carry on the orders of the commander. And they fulfill the mission. And that, folks, is dangerous. That's risky. It's absolutely risky, and that, that's Epaphroditus. He left on a mission trip. He gets sick. It can happen. It can happen. He gets sick, and it tells us there in verse 30, he got so sick, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Like, this is it. This is what it means to take up your cross and deny yourself. Right? This is what it means to put the interests of others ahead of your own. This is what it means to live for the glory of Christ. It is putting yourself at risk. And not all of us will be martyred. Not all of us will be sick unto death. Not all of us will be persecuted to that degree. Not all of us will have to go through what Epaphroditus did. But nonetheless, all of us are called into a life where we are exposed to risk. Where we are exposed to potential loss. Where we are exposed to potential injury and so forth. And so the big question for us is... What is it that you or I, what is it that we are risking? Can you say that you're living at risk? That your faith is so profound in Jesus, that you are so faithful to God and to his mission, that you literally are exposed out there? What are you risking? How are you risking? Are you risking? Or is it safe? Is it comfortable? Is it, is it convenient? The Bible is filled with all sorts of examples of people called to be followers of Jesus and what it looks like to risk. Abram, he is an old man, and he is called at his, in his old age to leave home and to travel to a brand new land. That's risky, but he did it. Moses Moses left Egypt because he was going to be killed for murdering someone. He takes off. He's gone for 40 years. God says, go back, lead my people out of the land. Moses did it. That was risky. 
That was all kinds of risk right there. David so loved God, he took on a giant, Goliath. That was risky. He took a slingshot to a guy with like a huge sword. Like really, like, but that's risky. But that's the life that we're called to. Um, there's so many other examples. Jonah is a great example. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because those people hated Jews and they were going to kill him. And, he was, and God wanted him to go there and preach the gospel. He's like, uh-uh. So he takes off the other way. Granted, God had to get his attention. But nonetheless, he still, at the end of the day, he went. He took the risk. He took the risk. What about Mary? What about Mary? What a risk. Like God says, I want you to give birth to the Messiah. I'm a virgin, and I'm betrothed. Okay, your point? And she's like, yes, sir. And what a risk. Like it, it messed up her reputation. It almost cost her her marriage. She took a risk. And what about Paul? What about Paul? Like, this, this is how Paul's conversion went. In Acts 9, verse 15, Jesus was very clear what Paul was going to sign on to if he accepted the calling as a follower of Jesus. And he says, uh, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Paul says, Yes, sir. The moment that he received the grace of God and he was exposed to the glory of God's grace, it didn't matter to him what it meant here on earth. He stepped forward and took the risk. He exposed himself to that. And so the question is, why would Paul and why would so many others expose themselves to risk? And the reason why is because that's what happens when we're exposed to the glory of God's grace. That's that's what happens when we come face to face with the goodness and the greatness, the gentleness of God, the faithfulness of God, the the renown and the prestige of God. It it alters us. It turns us from timid and selfish people into brave, courageous, selfless people. It's what it does. It, It changes our lives from lives of inconsequence to lives that we're on mission no matter what the consequences are. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own position, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So, yes, we receive grace. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, praise God, we get to go to heaven, and he's with us, and he provides for us, and all of that. Praise God, but that's not the end. On earth, that's not the ends. The, on earth, the ends is to proclaim the excellency, and that's even in heaven as well, to proclaim the excellencies of him who drew us out of darkness. In other words, to be on mission, to preach the gospel, to share Jesus, to be the light of God in this world, to be fishers of men. It's what it means. This is the life that we're called into. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is what you signed on to. Like, this is what you accepted. This is what you, this is the ship that you got on board on. Make disciples, further the mission, and it's risky. It exposes us. It exposes us to injury and to loss and death, and it's worth it. And why is it worth it? Because not only have we gotten this little glimpse of the glory of God, we know that one day we will be ushered into its fullness. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, 
I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Why should we be willing to expose ourselves to danger? Why should we be willing to suffer for Jesus? Why should we be on mission? Why should we risk and risk together and get messy? Why, why is that okay? Because of what God has done for us and because of what he has promised to us. Why do we serve sacrificially? Why should we? Because of what Jesus has done for us. You know, and on the cross, we, you know, we see a display of God's glory. Folks, that's just a little display. Just wait till you see him face to face. Like, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what we may have to endure in this world. I promise you, the second that you and I, when we enter and we see Jesus face to face, you know what we're going to say? It's not like, Wow, do you remember that time that I went on this mission trip and I got sick and I put a drill bit through my hand and, and, and I got malaria and all this? We're not going to say that. You, if anything, what we probably will say is something like, had I really known this, had I really believed this, I would have fished more people. I would have made more disciples. I would have been a stronger Timothy. I would have made more Timothys. Because that's what the glory of God. And so really it's so important for us to catch a vision, to catch a, a glimpse of the greatness and the spectacle that is God and that it, would drive, that it would drive our lives. The gospel, it changes us. So if you've been forgiven of all your sin and you've been like, like now you've been adopted by God and he's your father, like it changes the game. It changes your heart. It turns you into someone who is just, to produce spiritual fruit, good fruit. And there's two kinds of spiritual fruit, and they're both connected to one another, but there's two kinds of spiritual fruit, good spiritual fruit. One is us becoming more like Christ, so the character of Christ becoming real in us, us, you know, love, joy, faith, patience, uh, kindness, gentleness, self-control, like the the fruit of the Spirit, all of those, right? It is us being followers of Jesus to the point that we're imitating Jesus and we're growing degree to degree in his likeness, okay? That's number one. The other one is that we share Jesus with others and others come to know Christ. And that's John 14, 15, and 16. And the fruit there is making disciples. In other words, get this, the fruit that's supposed to be manifested in the life of a believer is that they're being discipled and that they're discipling others. That they're growing Christ's likeness and helping others to do likewise that is the spiritual fruit so it's important for all of us to evaluate ourselves in our lives is christ growing in me and is the gospel growing in the world through me test yourselves i pray i go to church is not verification of salvation i walked an aisle and i was crying and i i knelt down at an altar is not verification of salvation I signed a card. I got dunked in water. That's not verification of salvation. I had an experience, not verification of salvation. It may all be true, but that's not what justifies our belief. It's 1 John. It's the entire epistle of 1 John. How do we know? It is like, am I growing Christ's likeness? Is God using me? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I feel, do, am I being persecuted by the world? 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. Do not, do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. In other words, it's being on mission. Being on mission is what gives us a sense of, I, this is real. This is real in me. Like, I, I'm risking, and I'm risking alongside, alongside others to do so. Um, 
a lot of times the reason so many believers why we struggle to produce this good fruit is because we're too busy hugging the tree. Think of a fruit tree. Where does the fruit grow? On the branches or on the trunk? On the branches. It's kind of hard to produce fruit when we're like hugging onto the trunk of the tree desperately clinging, clinging to it out of, out of fear. Because out on the branches, out on the limb, it's scary. That's where the risk is. You might fall down. What if the wind blows? You know? What if squirrel poos on you? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, that's, where it's, that's where the risk is. Sorry. That's where the risk is. That's where it's dangerous. That's where we put ourselves out there. That's where the bad stuff happens. But we're so busy in our comfort zone, hugging that, the tree trunk for dear life, and then where's the fruit? You know, when we were in Haiti, one of the missionaries there said something. I, I loved it. Uh, they said, we have to stop saying, step out of your comfort zone. Because it's easy to step out of your comfort zone, and then when it gets uncomfortable, to step back into it. So instead of stepping out of your comfort, expand your comfort zone. I'm like, that's good stuff. All right, so let's put these two together. Expand your comfort zone in such a way that it includes you living out on the branches. Expand your comfort zone in such a way that it means that you're out on the limbs producing fruit and you are okay with it. Even if it means being exposed. Even if it means being exposed out there. And folks, that's where the good stuff happens. That's where the great stuff happens. Here, it's, it's so amazing how, like, if, I, if we were to take a survey in here, I'm certain 100% of us say, I want to see powerful miracles of God. I want to see just the movement of God in my life and do see just amazing stuff and great things happen. But we're unwilling to put ourselves in the places that call for that. Want to see miracles? Put yourself in a place that requires the miracle. Be okay getting out there. And that's where we see God move. That's where we see God stirred. That's where we see like the supernatural part of God working in this world. That's the good stuff out there. That's where the great stuff, that's where the great stuff happens. You know, and what's, what's wonderful is that, you know, we don't have to get out on the limb all by ourselves. That's what church is, right? It's, it's serving sacrificially, risking. It's not an individual enterprise. It's a corporate one. It's believers yoked together. I mean, think of the greatest servant who's ever lived. His name was Jesus. He failed God infallibly, perfectly, in every way, without any lapse. And how did Jesus serve? With his disciples. Jesus served in community he was no lone gun out there. Jesus served with others. Well, he's our example, being imitators of Jesus. So we serve in community. We serve along, along with others. And when we do that, great, great things happen. So the, the life that we want to invite everyone to and offer the opportunity to is, is this life of sacrificial service. It's a life where we do expose ourselves and we risk a little bit or a lot, and we do so together. And, you know, and I think we have to start somewhere. So we have to start somewhere. Like serving's a lifestyle. It's a habit. We've got to start somewhere. So I just I want to offer just some places where here in the life of our young, small church that you can serve. I mean, we've got a, a, a first impressions team, our host team. Okay? 
you're not serving, that may be a good place. Greeting people as they come in, making coffee, making sure the building's clean, uh, ready for Sunday morning, setting up for our lunches when we do our lunches and all kinds of stuff. You know, this isn't major risk, but if you're not even doing that, I mean, at least it's one step in the right direction, right? Praise team, can you sing? Can you play? Do you have a gift musically? Use the gift that God is giving you and, and play there, right? It's a little bit more work. We do get together on Wednesdays, at least two hours practice. We get here earlier than anyone else on Sundays. We go over the stuff because we want to be prepared and we want to be thoughtful. So it takes a little bit of time. So may have to give up a little bit of sleep there. That's kind of the risk involved there. Or like me so often messing up on a chord and everybody knows it. And so, and I risk my pride, my pride there. Um, the tech team, let's show our audio visual stuff. You know, it's clicking through slides. is trying to get the soundboard working right. It's, there's cables and stuff that need to be put straight. And some people are like, man, that's not much. I promise you it matters. Like it makes a difference. It really does. All these ministry, children's ministry, a little bit more risk there, right? Poopy diapers, uh, screaming kids, other people's children. Oh, they're the worst. Um, no, but, but, I mean, what a risk. But, I mean, what a delight that you get to, like, hold and love a child for a while and then share Jesus and share a Bible lesson, Bible lesson with them. And just know this, everything we do here matters. I, I think we've been as conscientious as we possibly can that we don't, we don't waste any time or resources here. Everything we do is to make disciples. Like, we're... we're we're doing as much as we can, as much as we can in different areas, in different ways, trying things out, but it's all to try to reach the community, and it's all to try to serve the community and uh, go on mission trips, and what we happen here on Sunday mornings is all about disciple making. I mean, the reason myself and Brent and others, you know, we prepare messages is we're trying to, to help you become Timothy's, and the music is all about making disciples, folks. The reason we choose the songs that we choose is because we believe that it actually teaches theology, I guarantee you, forget my message, you know, in five minutes after you walk out of the door, but you'll be singing, it is finished, it is done. Now completed the work. You know, it's, it teaches the, that's discipleship. We're discipling you through our music. Clearly the music is, host team is all discipleship. Greeting someone, making them feel at home and welcome. Trying to get them connected at the church. That's, that's, the, that's being a missionary. Like, it all matters. And, you know, like, hopefully in August, you know, there's a day where we go to Campbell University, the day that the freshmen move in, and we help move them in. Because a lot of them are from here, and they need a local church. What if they can come here during their four years at Campbell? And we can make Timothys of Campbell students while they're here. How cool would that be? Next June, 20th through the 27th, Lord willing, we're going back to Haiti. Who wants to go? Right? That, that's part of us filling the world with, with followers of Jesus. So start saving now. It probably costs you somewhere between $500 and $600 out of pocket. Maybe less if our church gives more. I want to send a team of 10 to 12 to go there and, and continue the work that's being done there. If you don't have your passport, get your passport. Not sure if you're going, get your passport anyway. Be prepared. Because what if God says, I want you to go? Oh, well, now it's going to cost me $300 to get my passport as opposed to uh, 50 bucks. It's good to have anyway. So just, these are, these are good, solid steps. And, and I'll make a plea for the, the core group that, who are just working their, 
rears off. Working in multiple ministries and folks, we need help. Like, there's so many times, I mean, I don't see Justin Casper in here two, three weeks in a row because he's teaching Sunday school. He does it willingly, and he does it joyfully, but, man, that, that's a great sacrifice. But what if someone else could teach too so that he could be in here on a Sunday or more often? So there's ways of being involved. There, there's, we have a few Timothys. Man, we need a battalion. It's what Brent was saying during the announcements. Man, we, it takes an army. Man, it takes a village to, to pull this off. No, no more than eight months old than we are, no bigger than we are. It is amazing what it takes to pull this off. And I'm grateful for, for those that do it. Um, so children's ministry, first impressions, tech team, cleaning outside. I mean, all of it, it matters. Um, I won't lie, it's not always fun. It's not always easy. It's often exhausting. It, uh, it means probably having to serve along some people that you may not get along with best. It happens. Uh, it may mean sacrificing some sleep, up late, working on lessons for children. Um, it may mean not, not using your vacation the way you wanted to, to go on a mission trip or to take the, the teens to camp or something like that. It's not always easy, and it's worth it, and it's worth it because it honors God. And I, want to, and I do mean to say it that simply because I don't want to manipulate it. That's enough to be said. It honors God. So it's worth it. The inconvenience and the discomfort of it is worth it because it honors God. You know, Brent said earlier, um, if you're not serving, go by the info booth, sign up. If you don't know where to begin, ask me, ask Brent, ask the Grays, ask Jamie, ask the Bond, ask you know, you, you, the Riggs. I mean, you guys, you know each other. Everyone here knows each other today. Um, if you don't know where to start, just ask. Like, where should I get started? Let me do something. And, and we'll figure it out. But the point is to take steps to where it, the sacrificing becomes real, where we start exposing ourselves and doing it together as a church family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, just pulling in the same direction. And we do this, why? We do it for the greater good. Just to tie it all the way back to the beginning, there is this ragtag army of people that they've pulled in the same direction together. They risked together, and great things were accomplished. Freedom was accomplished. And so just imagine, no older than we are, no bigger than we are, if we start risking together, here's what will happen. There will be families in this town that will be restored. There will be marriages that will be restored. There will be children that won't step into addiction. There will be teens that will be drawn out of addiction. There will be unborn babies that will be saved. That is what happens if we would dedicate ourselves to striving for the glory of God, to being on mission. Like that's, that's what God so desires for us to bring hope into this world. Not our hope, the hope of Jesus. For the light of God to shine through us. Man, if we would just step forward and be Timothys. Let someone make us into a Timothy and then make Timothys of others. Like that's it. That's the goal. If nothing good happens without, without shed blood, right? Troops shed their blood. Back in the day, they gave their life so that freedom can be had. That's the gospel. Jesus saw our desperation, how desperate we were in our sin and our entanglements. He says, I got it. I'll fix it. He came down and he won the war. 
He went to a cross for our sins. He paid the price. Went to a grave, died, stood up out of it and said, I'm victorious. He won the freedom. Who wants some of that? I want some of that. Now follow me. What does that mean? Risk. Service and risk. Loving, honoring, worshiping, serving God every day. And no matter what it takes, doing it all for the greater good, for God's glory and the good of others. And one day, we'll get to step into an eternal banquet seated at the table of Jesus where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. All right, let's pray. Lord Father, thank you so much for this invitation that you offer to us. Lord, and it is scary. You call us to live on mission. You call us to expend ourselves for your glory. And then by your mercy, Lord, you ask us to do it together. And what a blessing that is. Lord, that we don't have to strive by ourselves, Lord, but we can come along, fellow brothers and sisters, those who have the the gospel in common with us, who love you, Lord. And we get to do this family thing. And Lord, I I pray that we would just be a a church on mission, uh, brothers and sisters, Lord, equally yoked, harnessed together with our hands to the plow, Lord, and just to to do this mission that you called us to do, Lord. I pray that we would not neglect this grand this grand goal that you have for us. All right, I pray if there is anyone in the room who has not given their life to you, Lord, that they would do so now. They don't have to be enslaved by their sin, Lord. They can be freed. And I pray that for their faith in Jesus, for your grace on them. Lord, and for the followers of Jesus in the room, I pray that if we have not been striving with humility and joy and gratitude to serve you and to serve your glory, to serve others, Lord, I pray that we would repent, we would confess that, Lord, and then that we would lean into it by your grace through your spirit, that you would, Lord, help us to be the servants we're supposed to be. Lord, let us not pay lip service to your glory. Let us pay service to it. Let us live in it and for it. In Jesus' name, amen.